Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 121. Today I'm talking to Cecilia Monrad, Art Health Manager at Fredericksburg Museums in Copenhagen. We're talking about the project See, Listen, Talk, a slow-looking programme that helps young psychiatric service users in their recovery. Before that, last time I was talking to Andrew Westover about how values-engaged teaching can transform gallery experiences and foster deep connections. We had a great conversation that I know has resonated with a lot of you, so if you haven't listened already, make sure you do. And if you have a question for the show or want to suggest a guest, feel free to get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to more educators doing innovative things, engaging with art, objects and audiences in museums and heritage. So get in touch with me via the link in the show notes. And don't forget that The Art Engager has over 100 episodes to choose from. You can take your pick from the back catalogue of different episodes to brush up on your skills, be inspired and learn new techniques. So if you want to support this show and keep it going from strength to strength, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, let's get on with today's show. Cecilia Monrad serves as the Art Health Manager at Fredericksburg Museums in Copenhagen. Her work is dedicated to building inclusive communities that prioritise well-being. She specialises in developing programmes using methods like slow looking and shared reading for vulnerable groups, including those with dementia, psychological challenges, stress, anxiety and depression. Cecilia believes art has transformative power to enhance well-being and she's committed to making art experiences that are accessible and inclusive for all. In this chat, we're exploring what See, Listen, Talk is and who's it for. We discuss why slow looking was chosen as an approach for the programme and how it works in practice. We talk about what a typical session might involve and the methods and techniques that are used. We explore how the programme creates connections within the group and how they create a safe space and a brave space for the participants in these sessions through a broad trauma-sensitive framework. We talk about the feedback the project has received so far and the positive impacts that the programme has had on the participants, both inside and outside of the museum. We discuss the potential application and expansion of this project and the recent recognition of Cecilia's work, including a recent visit to Parliament. This research by the University of Southern Denmark is ongoing and the results are anticipated in March 2024. 
I love talking to Cecilia about our shared love of slow looking. Here's our chat. Hi, Cecilia, and welcome to the Art Engager podcast. Hi, and thank you. It's Delighted. nice to be here. <laughs> yeah. Delighted you're here with us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, I'm Art and Health Manager at Volksberg Museum, which is situated in Copenhagen, Denmark, and consists of four different museums. Uh, and I work with all these collections in my line of work with the art and health uh, activities. And uh, together I can use literature, I can use art, I can use music, drama, uh, because all of this is a part of the uh, collections. Uh, I've been working here since 2012, making activities for people having a, a mental diagnosis, people suffering from stress, anxiety or depression, elderly people, people with uh, dementia and also people suffering from loneliness. So I've invited you onto the podcast today because I'd love to talk about the See, Listen, Talk research project. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit about the project and its goals. Yeah, uh, the, the target group was uh, young um, people with psych, uh, psych illnesses and it was a slow looking uh, concept. And it consisted of two 10 week programs, uh, so one in the spring and one in the autumn. And there was also a co-therapist joining in and they were participating at the same level as the the young psychiatric users. So there was no one just observing, everybody was participating. And uh, there was eight participants at the same time, because um, eight is uh, a very good number for uh, keeping the energy in the room, the, the conversation flowing, but also to keep eye contact with everybody so everybody mm-hmm. feels seen and heard. It was a project in collaboration with the psychiatric care system, and it was not that hard to find participants, but it was a bit harder to keep them because some of them were still hospitalized during the program and they were in treatment. I was told that it was a huge challenge for them to even get out the door in the morning so that they even turned up was a small success. But many of them was consistent throughout the whole program. So... I take that as a compliment. Absolutely. And you said that you chose slow looking as an approach Mm. for the program. So can you tell me a little bit more about what what inspired the idea of choosing slow looking? Yes. Back in 2019, I was uh, visiting Manchester Art Gallery and uh, saw that exhibition called Room to Breathe. I know that you have been talking about this with Louise Thompson. And I was so amazed. It was, uh, I was really taken back you can do that in a museum and then we had the great lockdown just after that the global one and uh, I think one of the good things that came out of that was that everybody noticed the benefits of slowing down so you know that started me uh, thinking about how can you connect these things and I started my research and <laughs> also uh, oh you are a great Thanks, Claire, because that's, I had a lot of inspiration from your uh, uh, your podcast, but also your website and um, both inspiration, but also actual tools that I use. So 
no one was really talking about slow looking in Denmark. It, uh, it was new. Many museums have probably been doing it, but we have not vocalized that this is slow looking. So when we did it, it was something that got attention. And then we said, let's research this. How can you use it to benefit the people that we don't see normally in the museums? So how does See, Listen, Talk work in practice? Perhaps you could walk us through some of the nuts and bolts of the program, uh, how long it lasts, when it happens, mm. and who was participating. Yeah. The participants, as, as I said, uh, young psychiatric uh, users between 18 and 29 years old. And uh, we have a, a weekly meeting at the museums outside the opening hours because then there is peace and quiet for the sessions. And we use all the museums. And sometimes we we will have a focus on an, one specific artwork. Sometimes it would be the interior at Bagerhus at the Hill House, or sometimes it would maybe be the architecture at Sistanana. Uh, so I use different approaches each time because each session is different, but we move around. At the beginning, I was because I was so inspired by what they were doing at Manchester, I was thinking of starting with a mindfulness grounding. But I found out very fast that this does not work with this target group because being inside your head in the way that mindfulness uh, approaches is very frightening and very hard if you have psychosis, for example. Instead, we had always the same opening and the same ending uh, at a session. So there's a structure that they can recognize and feel safe yeah. in the structure. Uh, and the opening was always uh, a group round where we discussed what have you on your mind, what have you been doing uh, since the last we saw each other, and have you been slow looking? And then the ending was always, uh, so what do you take with your home uh, from today's experience? And always what is going to happen today, how long it will take, and that you're always free to leave the room if you need to. And I have the, the co-therapist who can also give back up if there should be anything triggered on that day. So you've got this trauma-sensitive framework exactly. that gives yeah. a structure yeah. for participants so they know what to expect at the beginning, they know what to expect at the end. Yeah. And they also have this opt-out if anything is too sensitive or too emotional. Yeah. Uh, and also, sometimes we were all sitting in the exhibitions, but some of the paintings uh, around us could be complicated because they could show topics of violence or suicides and things. Uh, so I discussed this with the co-therapist be uh, before we started. And, and how do I work in this atmosphere? Uh, do I need to change the room? And he said, no, let's go with it because uh, it's still an art piece. And that's the whole point that life is not just uncomplicated. It's full of uh, things that is terrible, but but this is art. So let's see how it works when we have that knowledge. And it did not uh, cause any problems at all. So each time we always started with the exercise in observation. What do you see? The lines, forms, shapes, structures. And we stayed in this for a very long time and always asked them to not be analytic about it. If they had any feelings or thoughts, try to leave them aside. So I used the ground principles of mindfulness. Be in the beginner's mind. What is this about? Just be curious. Just see and make observations. And 30 minutes in this, when they don't speak, I guide them. They just look uh, 
then I will uh, begin to uh, open up with questions on what thoughts do you have, what feelings do you have, how does it connect with you or with me or with the world, as a, depending on what we were looking at, uh, had different strategies uh, each time. And so you said you spend 30 minutes in observation. Yeah. And how did the group find that? So I can imagine that can seem quite a long time to be observing. The first time the group experiences this, is it difficult for them? It was definitely difficult, (laughs) especially for people having ADHD. So I also gave the option that you could move around and, and see the image from different perspectives so you could use your body but it was still a quiet thing but they always had my voice to help them Uh, they liked that my voice was always there to guide them and uh, later on the feedback was that it was actually this exercise that they used uh, outside the museum's room when things were getting difficult in their lives so it was a tool that they could use in other situations I love that. Using observation as a tool to really cope with other situations, what life may throw up sometimes, Mm. to really be present, to be in the moment rather Mm. than racing ahead, thinking about what might happen. And also those 30 minutes that you spend observing, that really then must set the foundation for more interpretive questions and do you use any particular questioning strategies or approaches i plan the question in advance uh, for for each of these sessions i have at least uh, an hour myself being curious about the piece of art that i will uh, facilitate so uh, i use my own curiosity also to to make questions uh, um, to open up for their curiosity so when we have been observing uh, this artwork for 13 minutes with my uh, guiding then they're always eager to share i differ between thoughts and feelings also very sharply and i have a strategy to when to work from what you observe to what do you see to to what you think to what do you feel uh, and depending on the artwork for some i will use the, the strategy of see, uh, think, feel, and then for some others, I will be more into the senses. Um, so imagine if you could be in this picture, uh, what senses do you have then? And I can imagine you thinking about your questions, perhaps in the same way you think about your choice of artwork. So you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, you said that you were talking with the co-therapist about choosing artworks for this program. And they said that go ahead with uh, your choice, because even though an artwork may bring in certain themes that might be difficult for the people that are on this program, that's part of life, that we are navigating difficult emotions and they're present in our everyday lives. So I wonder does that have an effect on the questions as well? Are there ever any circumstances where you might avoid certain questions or avoid certain topics of conversations, or do you go there? No, I go there particularly uh, if if someone chooses to share something difficult, then it's that person's choice, uh, and uh, I leave it open, and then the other participants can comment on that if they want to. Uh, doesn't happen very often. I've only experienced one single time that was something that triggered and she just told the co-therapist, can we go outside for a minute? And then she came back a little later. So it was not a problem. 
but I but I I don't avoid things. I don't choose artworks that has a specific violent uh, topic, but uh, I um, don't avoid the topic if it comes up naturally. Yeah, yeah. I think any artwork, any mm. object can be triggering because. We, yes. we don't know what people are bringing with them, what experiences mm. or mm. emotions they're bringing with them into the museum. So if you follow that line of thought, then it would be very hard to choose any objects for a programme yeah. if you exactly. were trying to, to bear that in mind. But obviously it does require that you facilitate with sensitivity. So how do you ensure that you facilitate in such a way so that people feel uh, safe and comfortable to contribute, and they are aware that their responses are being acknowledged and valued. I think it comes. I, come, I think it comes naturally in the setting that we are in this special room, that they know that they they are invited in here outside closing hours, and this experience is for specifically for them only. It's exclusive in some sort. <laughs> Uh, and then they know that they have the co-therapist that they can uh, ask for help if they need to and uh, they have each other and um, we are only this uh, eight participants so it is a small group and it's safe and when the program progresses they use uh, each other more and more with sharing their feelings and thoughts and uh, so they use each other also a lot and and one of the points in my session is that I have this long period of time in the first half of it where we don't talk. It's the meditative part. And then we open up for the social part. So they have this balance between being a meditative experience and being a social experience. And the feedback from the participants was that many of them had this experience that they could be in a certain mood when they arrived to the session and a completely different mood uh, at the end because they felt the first half of it was just being calm and they were guided that they should not uh, do anything except being guided by me uh, quietly. Uh, and then when you look long enough uh, and then you want to share it because, oh, I have discovered this, I have discovered that, and you want to share it with the other. And, and when they say something, they build on each other comments. I think that worked very well with this framework of being both meditative and social in the same session. Yeah, I love the idea of that, mm. that the first half is silent, as you say. Mm. It's meditative, but it's a trauma-safe way. So the artwork is there as perhaps that yeah. thir third space. Exactly. They don't have to look inside themselves. They can look at the artwork. So if you compare to mindfulness, it's your breath that is your anchor. But, but uh, in this uh, session, it's the artwork that is your anchor. You can always return to the artwork. That is your safe space. And the, the, the mm. 30 minutes of uh, quiet observation and silence is then paving the way for the social response for the, exactly. for the second part. Yeah. And this helps to create that, you called it a safe space and a brave space. Would you mm. like to talk a little bit about the choice of those two words? Yeah, it was actually the co-therapist's word for it. I just thought it sums it all up uh, yeah. in a perfect way. You have this room that is peaceful and quiet and and uh, there is a social coherence. And the brave space is that you enter this exhibition where there can be pieces of artworks with violent topics. Uh, for instance, when we walk down to Sistanan, this 
cold, dark places, very different from the outside world. But what happened was that when we came down there, people actually felt that the room was quite nice because it was so different from the outside world. So down here, when there's no mobile connection and and, uh, everything is different, it was like entering a completely different world for them. So they felt it as a safe space. And that uh, was surprising for me, but also understandable. I'd love just to hear some of the feedback that you've had from participants regarding some of their experiences. You mentioned the transfer, the effect of using observation as transferred over into their kind of Mm. daily lives. So perhaps you could share some of the feedback. Yeah. To some of the session, I had also added writing exercises or drawing exercises because the co-therapist had said that this would be very good for them. And it was very stimulating. Um, and it was probably the most fun sessions we had. But uh, at the same time, they also also said that the classical slogan, <laughs> where we just looked and talked, that was most helpful when they were outside the museums because they found out that these tools that we have repeated every week that even in the beginning of the program it was very difficult for them to let go of the non-analytical mind be non-judging about what they saw but we rehearsed we had rehearsed it so many times so they started uh, uh, exp- making experiences with it outside the museum room and there was this participant who said uh, that he had been sitting on a train and the rush hour and there were so many people and it was noisy and it, he, was, he felt very uncomfortable with the situation but then he had started slow looking at how the train cars was connected so all the engineering stuff observing small lines in the uh, train and that helped him being in that situation with all the noise and all the impressions from all the people, just focusing on the small details. And there was another person who said she had a very difficult conversation with a social counselor and the balance between them was uneven. But then she had started, and it's her words, slow looking in the room and uh, making observations. And just this little observation with slow looking around the room made her compete with the situation in a a more even balance between her and the social counsellor. That's so nice to hear and I know you're working with you're pairing with the university with Casper so what sort of insights are you looking to derive from the research from analysing the data? Yeah, he's uh, still in the progress of analysing the data, but I expect that it will supplement my observation as well. But I think that his hope is also to discover a more detailed understanding of the specific aesthetic phenomenon of slow rigging and how it can play a role in the recovery process for psychiatric patients. And when do we expect to see this? In March. So March 2024, for those of you listening in the future, we will watch this space. We will Mm -hmm. find out more once the research is published. Mm. We'll wait excitedly for that. There's not a huge amount of research in the area of slow looking. So Mm. anything that adds to the the conversation around the benefits of using this approach with various Mm. different groups in various different types of museums and situations, I think is extremely worthwhile. Yeah. It's had a bit of an effect in Denmark as well. I hear that last week uh, you were invited to Parliament to talk about your work at the intersection of health and culture. I did. Um, 
Yes, yes, because uh, it's still quite in the beginning in Denmark, bringing arts and health together. We have many people that have been working with it for years, but on a political level, it's still new. The parliament had this hearing last week with the people, uh, the Department of Culture and the Department of Health coming together for the first time to hear about the same thing from uh, some of us who have been in the field for a long time. And among them, it was me talking about my work at the Flexback Museums. So hopefully that will push forward the progress in this because uh, there's so much evidence. And now uh, with this project, there will be even more. Yeah, it's wonderful to have a recognition by Parliament, Mm. uh, people really taking an interest in what's happening in museums at the intersection of art and health. There's lots of amazing work uh, Mm. around that happening right now. I want to ask you a final question about what do you see happening with See, Listen, Talk in the future? Yes, See, Listen, Talk was a pilot project and we think it uh, has so much potential that we can't stop it here. We're working on a part two project, which will be a national project where we invite other museums from around Denmark and that being both uh, art galleries and uh, cultural heritage museums to make the uh, collections so varied uh, as possible and also um, not always the huge museums but uh, also very small museums and they they will all work with the as we have been doing uh, with slow looking with vulnerable target groups and Casper will continue his research part on this and hopefully it will uh, end up in a publication um, or manual how to uh, how to uh, integrate this uh, into your organization how can people get in touch with you find out more about you and the program we'll include some links in the show notes perhaps you could give some places where people can find you yeah linkedin is probably the best way and i would be happy and flattered if people would contact me because I love to discuss this. I love to get uh, other experiences that I can use into my work and also love what experiences I have and make it bigger that way. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Cecilia, for coming on the Art Engager podcast. Yeah, thank you, Claire. Bye. So a huge thank you to Cecilia for being on the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Go to the show notes to find out more about See, Listen, Talk and to connect with Cecilia. And if you're interested in engaging with art slowly, come and join us in the Slow Looking Club. We have regular themes and regular get-togethers all based around the idea of slowing down and noticing more. I'll put a link in the show notes. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.